night, and we thank you for all that you have done. We ask now that you would bless us as we examine your word, give us grace and strength, and teach us, Lord, and help us, encourage us that we may go forth from this place, desiring to serve you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. 7, John chapter 7. Now, what we have here is one series of events concerning one feast, the Feast of the Tabernacles. Uh, This was in the fall after uh, the Day of Atonement. That was the tenth day of the seventh month, the Feast of Tabernacles would then start on the 15th day of the seventh month and run through the 22nd day. And so uh, this was a time, if you'll remember, dwelling in booths was the idea of the uh, feast. It was to remember the sojourn in the land of Egypt when Israel lived in tents and moved and uh, as the cloud of uh, pillar of cloud and by day and the pillar of fire by night would move, the children of Israel would move, and they were to remember the fact that they lived in tents. And really, uh, the modern day example, the truth that we need to understand is: this world is not my home, as the old hymn says. Uh, this is a temporary dwelling place. If we could only understand, uh, I mean, we all know eternity is forever and your life may be 70, 100 years, but it's not going to be much more than that. I think the record in modern day is 118 or something like that. Somebody, I think there's a couple people that claim to have gotten to 130 uh, but uh, that's not very long when you compare it to eternity, my friend. And so oftentimes we live as if eternity were now and our short lifetime were in eternity. We get everything mixed up. And uh, Jesus is still teaching this is the last six months or so of his earthly ministry. Uh, Passover, where he was crucified, would have been in April, March. We're already all the way to October. And I want you to realize this. We're in John chapter 7. Now, Jesus' ministry was about three and a half years in length. So right now we, have, we are coming up on the three-year period of Jesus' ministry, those last six months, and John has 21 chapters, and we're just to chapter 7. And so they did not give equal time to the events in Jesus' life. The book of John is going to be primarily concerned with that last week and the time after the crucifixion and resurrection. And uh, the other books are going to have a lot to do, uh, are going to be weighted rather heavily. But if you look in your first line there, it says the Feast of the Tabernacles, Matthew chapter 8, 18 through 22, Luke chapter 9, 51 through 62, And then John chapter 7, verse 2, through John chapter 10, and verse 21. So needless to say, we're going to spend most of our time in the book of John, because John is going to give us the preponderance of the story. He has much more to tell us of what happened during these events than the other three do. Now, does that make the other three wrong? Because they didn't record everything? No. I mean, if you want five different stories about how anything happens, just ask my kids. Ask any three and you'll get five different stories on how something happened. I mean, that's... And the same is true of all of us. We see things, we hear things, 
we remember what we choose to remember sometimes. Uh, and so what we have here is John's story in verse 7, says, after, chapter 7, verse 1, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Now, Jesus was literally being taunted by his brothers, his physical brothers, same mother, different father. Joseph was their natural father, uh, unlike Jesus, who had no natural earthly father. His birth was different. But his brothers were taunting him. They, and if you run into some diehard Catholic, they'll tell you, oh, the word brethren includes cousins. You know something? I am so glad the word brethren doesn't include cousins. Because I have six brothers that can live in my home. I have to let them in. And each one of them has six sisters. And I have to let them in. But I don't have to let the 20-some other cousins in. Amen? Uh, there, there is a relationship there. And Jesus' brethren, now one of his brothers, James, would become the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. They got this thing fixed. But at this point, three years into Jesus' ministry, they did not believe that he was doing the miracles. They just did not believe. They did not believe that Jesus was who? He said he was. But isn't it interesting that they knew enough about what Jesus did and, what, and who he claimed to be that they're now saying, get up to the feast and show everybody, prove to everybody who you are. By the way, does that not sound strangely similar to Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness Prove who you are. If thou be the Son of God, jump off the pinnacle of the temple and prove who you are. And that theme is going to run the whole way through until the trial of Jesus. And it's going to continually be brought up again and again and again. Even after Jesus was crucified, the Pharisees are going to go in and they're going to say, this deceiver claimed that he would rise again from the dead, so we got to protect the tomb. And of course, Jesus was not a deceiver, and he did raise again from the dead, and they paid the soldiers to lie. It's absolutely an amazing story. But Jesus goes through Samaria in secret. He's not going to take the main route where everybody is going to be. Verse 8, he says, Go ye up unto the feast. I go not yet up unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. And when he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up to, unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Now, we read in Luke's Gospels, Jesus went into a town in Samaria, and because his face was set as he would go to Jerusalem, they wouldn't let him stay in the town. They said, we're not going to be a resting place for you to go to Jerusalem. We're not going to allow you to condemn our religion. And James and John took the insult. And they said, Lord, wouldn't you like us to call down fire and burn these people up like Elijah did in the Old Testament? Now, Jesus said, you know not what spirit, manner of spirit you are. That's not the Holy Spirit of God. 
Maybe this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, you turn the other cheek. Amen? You don't have to right every wrong. And if somebody's going to think wrong about you, you know who the last person in the world that's going to change their opinion? Is your mouth. The only way you can change somebody's opinion is through godly behavior and the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? You can't stop somebody from hating you. If that's what they want to do, Jesus didn't try to deal with the situation. He just went to another town. They received him, and he went up to the feast. So even as he was going, he was trying to teach his disciples. And we come here to the end of Luke chapter 9, and let's, let's just uh, get these verses before we go back to John's narrative. Luke chapter 9. And it came to pass, verse 57, as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, doesn't that sound like a wonderful statement? I mean, we have somebody here that is dedicated and says, Lord, wherever you go, I'm going to follow you. You know what? There's nothing wrong with that statement. That was a good desire. But what was Jesus' answer to this man? And Jesus said unto him, verse 58, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He says, you need to understand, if you follow me, You're going to have to leave everything behind. And I'm not promising you great gifts because I am offering you nothing. Now, of course, following Jesus is the key to eternal life. Amen. But it is not found in this world's goods. His words strangely echo those that he spoke to the rich young ruler. Sell all thou hast, give to the poor, and come and follow me. Now we go on in verse 59. And he said unto another, follow me. So Jesus is reaching out here to another man. And he says, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And Jesus is teaching the price of following Jesus. There is nothing that should hold you to this earth. Now, the idea here was, and and Jesus is going to condemn the Pharisees for not providing for their families. He's not talking about not providing and not doing what's right by the law. But this man's father hadn't died yet. If he left home... It would be a basic forfeiture of the fam- of his position as the eldest son, and the family might give his inheritance to somebody else. And Jesus said, there's nothing you can get here on earth that is worth hindering your following of me. We need to understand Jesus was not shy about this. He said, if you set your hand to the plow, if you, are, if you make that decision to follow the Lord, you cannot look back. 
You know, there are many people who make professions of faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about here. There are many people who, who say, like the first man said, I'll follow you whithersoever thou go. But all it was, was words. And maybe he did follow. You can follow Jesus on the outside. But it's got to be a surrender of your heart to his. For with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness. And don't make salvation more complicated. We, last week, or the last time we were together here, uh, we were Luke chap- I mean Matthew chapter 18, except you be converted and become as a little child. It's not a complicated thing. It's just trusting the Lord. Somebody says, what does it mean to trust the Lord? Well, that's pretty easy. It means you don't trust anything else. When you think of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not thinking about the good things that you did. When you think of yourself, excuse me, your salvation, you're not saying, well, I remember when I got baptized. You're not saying, when you think about your salvation, well, You know, I'm not really as bad as that person over there. Hey, I'll tell you what. I don't care how bad you are. I'll find you a preacher that's worse, all right? Uh, let's, Let's just not go there. Comparing yourself among yourselves, ye are unwise. Somebody once said, I live better than my neighbor. Well, who's your neighbor? Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, that doesn't take much now, does it? What we need is to follow Christ. And as Jesus was walking through Samaria, going up to Jerusalem to this feast, these were some of the issues that were being discussed along the way. And so now let's go back to chapter 7 of the book of John, and we're going to pick up the rather lengthy narrative here as Jesus is presenting himself to those who would believe in him. We start in verse 11. It says, Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, He is a good man. Others say, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spoke, spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. There was lots of whispers. But one of, one of the Pharisees walked up in their robes and their trademark uh, regalia. The conversation stopped. Because they didn't want to be overheard by those guys. When one of the temple... Guards walked by. The conversation just changed very quickly because the Pharisees had an iron grip on what happened in the temple. See, there were still some huge divisions even in the Jewish people between the Pharisees who were the strictest of the strict and the Sadducees who didn't believe in anything. Yet, all of them were on the watch for conversation concerning this person named Jesus. And as we go down here, verse 14, Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Now remember, he's been doing this for three years. He's cleansed the temple once, very early in his ministry, throughout the money changers and all of those things. He has continually confounded the Pharisees, and everywhere they went, they went up out of Jerusalem and followed him into Galilee and accused him of breaking the Sabbath, and Jesus completely confounded their talk every time. Now look what it says here in verse 15. This is amazing to me. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man the letters, having never learned? 
Now, Jesus had been reading and teaching in the synagogues of Galilee for three years. He had been confounding them continually in their conversation, and they're still looking for his graduation degree. They said, he didn't go to our school. We did not teach him to read Hebrew. How did he learn? You know, I don't think Jesus had to learn to read. Because he was the living word of God. Amen? Now, he had to teach his body how to read. He had to discipline his mind to read those characters because... That, look, that mind that was growing as, was just as human as you and I. But the very God of gods dwelt in that little body. And nobody needed to teach Jesus what was in the scriptures. Because they were written under his influence through the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? They were all about him. And they're sitting there trying to figure out how he learned to read the scriptures. I just, I just love the irony or the, the, it's almost humorous when you stop and think about it. We didn't teach Jesus about the Bible. How did he learn? I just love it. He already knew, amen? And so Jesus answered them in verse 16, he had finished teaching a lesson in the temple. He comes down and walks up to these Pharisees and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh... I'm sorry. But he that seeketh his own glory... His glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Now look at verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. Now, we actually get a view into the culture of Jesus' stay here. They were not doing the same thing that happened in Mark chapter 3 when the Pharisees were saying, He casteth out devils by Beelzebub. This was their saying. And you know what we say today? You've got to be crazy. Isn't that what we say? Somebody says something just totally off the rocker. Sometimes you'll say... Uh, have you, have you had your meds checked lately? Um, what we're simply saying is, hey, there's something wrong up here. You are out of touch with reality. Now, was that charge true about Jesus? Absolutely not. Let's go on down a little further here. And... Verse 25, Then said some of them of Jerusalem... Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? But, how be it, verse 27, We know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid, hold on, laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. The Pharisees, verse 32, heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Now, Jesus is teaching in the temple. Uh, I wish you could get the picture here. 
We have tens of thousands of Jewish people crowded in Jerusalem for the feast, possibly close to 100,000 people there just for the feast, let alone the people that live in Jerusalem. And as Jesus is standing in the temple teaching, people are ducking in and out of the crowd and going into the office of the Pharisee and telling them what Jesus said. And then somebody ducks out of the office of the Pharisee and runs over to the office of the chief priest and said, did you hear what Jesus... Yes, I just heard what Jesus taught. And they get together and they send officers into the temple while he's teaching to arrest him. And Jesus just keeps teaching as if nothing is going on. How many of you think you could do that? That's why God hadn't asked you to do it. Amen. That would unnerve me. I think it would unnerve any normal human being. Knowing that all of this is going on while he's standing in the temple and teaching the word of God. Jesus, in verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Look at verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees and said unto them, what? And they said unto them, Why have ye not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them, the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look. For out of Galilee ariseth no prophet, and every man went unto his own house. Now, you can see the confusion and the argument, not only between the chief priest among their own group, but among the chief priest and the people. And again, what we are seeing here as these stories are related to us, if you are going to believe on Jesus, you're going to do it one way, my friend, by faith. You know, I met a man, I've been talking to him off and on since I've been in Astoria. Just totally, totally closed to the gospel. He says, you see, you have to believe in God by faith. I said, Yes. He says, but our faith creates God. And I said, maybe yours does, but my faith is in the God that created the heaven and the earth. You see, you can't convince somebody that doesn't want to be convinced. Just can't do it. You can't make someone believe. But I like what Brother Clayton said about the horse. It's true. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a horse drink. They'll get stubborn sometimes, and they just don't want to. But you know what you can do? Throw a handful of salt in a feed bag. Then just tie them to the water trough and walk off. Amen? Uh, you might get the job done. And so we need to be wise in our presentation of the gospel, but nobody will believe the gospel because of you. It's got to be because of Jesus. Amen.
Now we get into some of the most interesting stories in all the Bible. Remember, the Day of Atonement was on the 10th day of the month. We're chapter 7, we're the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the 22nd. And Jesus stays on. The Sanhedrin have broken up and gone back to their uh, houses. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. Now, do you understand what they were going to accuse him of? If Jesus said, stoner, they would have immediately sent to Pilate, the governor, and said, this man is setting the city on an uproar and he's trying to murder this poor innocent woman. If he said, don't stone her, they would have immediately turned to the crowd and said, You see, this guy doesn't really believe the Bible. He's a fake. He's a fraud. He doesn't care about God and His holiness. Boy, that's pretty clever plan. I mean, they thought they had Jesus right where they wanted Him. They thought they couldn't lose. I like what Jesus did. He ignores them. He stoops over and he starts writing in the dirt with his finger. The dust of the temple. Now, my Bible has a cross-reference to Jeremiah chapter 17. It says, their names are written in the earth who believe not the Son of God. Maybe that's what Jesus did was just wrote their names in the dirt. I don't know. Would they have been familiar with Jeremiah's prophecy? Well, the Sadducees and the chief priests never studied the Bible, all except for the ritual that they were supposed to go through. But the Pharisees sure studied the Bible. But the passage tells us that Jesus said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her, And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Now you have to remember, this is in the temple. The feast had just ended. There still would have been tens of thousands of visitors in the area, hanging around, as we might say, after the feast was over proper just to enjoy the city of Jerusalem. Maybe some of them planned on purpose to hear the teaching of Jesus. Here they come in with this woman. Of course, I don't know about you, but my first thought is it it takes two to commit adultery. You know, this was a setup from the beginning. And if there was anyone who was taken advantage of, it was the poor woman who was used as a a pawn in the hands of these plotters and planners. And yet, what did Jesus tell her? He said, where are those that condemn you? Jesus was not saying it's okay to commit adultery. Unlike Pat Robertson, all right? Jesus was not condoning her sin. What he was doing was setting her free from her tormentors. Amen? The, Jesus has come to forgive sins. And what you and I need to understand is That is his ministry. Amen.
He is not shocked when you or I sin. He already knew. He already knew about them when He died on the cross. He paid for them then, long before any of us were ever born. That doesn't give you license to go out and do whatever you want. But it does give you a right to come back and confess your sins and know that He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? And so, He sent her away. And then, look at verse 12. Here is one of the greatest... This is the circumstance we often... I mean, the... Context. We often quote verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. That's in the context of just telling this woman, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, I love verse 13, because these same Pharisees come back. Jesus, just a couple of days before, had said, I don't bear record of myself. If I bear record of myself, my witness is not true. Jesus now stands, says, I'm the light of the world, and they're the nitpickers. You're bearing record of yourself, therefore your witness is not true. Does that show you that these people were listening intently to what Jesus was saying? They were copying it down. They wanted to make sure they knew that somewhere they would tangle up Jesus in his talk. Jesus had presented himself as the source of living water on the last day of the feast. He now presents himself as the light of the world. He says, you guys plotted and planned and for all we can understand by the Scripture, actually uh, tricked this woman, brought, manipulated her into a situation of adultery so that they could catch her, as they said, in the very act and bring her before Jesus. Uh, I mean, the paparazzi have nothing on the scribes and the Pharisees. They had it all planned. They, they had it all picked. And Jesus then stands as the woman leaves. Jesus has escaped their trap. And he says, I'm the light of the world. I can see clearly right through you people and all that you are attempting to do. Don't you think after being convicted in your heart of your own sin and hearing Jesus then say, I'm the light of the world, I I am the one that produces light so men can see, wouldn't you fall on your face and say, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God? I mean, how could you escape this? But it's going to get a lot worse in this chapter before we're done. How many of you read John chapter 8? Know where we're going with this thing. And so Jesus then tells them, look at verse 15, Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone. But I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. And then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he said, Whether I go, ye cannot come. And they said, and he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. 
Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. How could Jesus be any more plain than that? He said, if you do not believe that I am he, how many of you need a dictionary to understand those words? How many of you need a commentary to get the gist of what is being said there? I mean, it is so plain. And yet these learned men, these trained men, it just, as we said, right over their heads, it doesn't even penetrate. The words are absolutely meaningless to them. Why? Because they never believed in God the Father in the first place. They believed in their tradition. You see, the early church was made up primarily of Jewish people. Until we get to Acts chapter 10, it was a Jewish church. Why? Because if you truly believe the Old Testament, it demands that you believe the new. You can't have one without the other. You can't have Jesus without the Father, nor can you have the Father without Jesus. You can't split God up. And so, then they asked the question here, they said unto him, Who art thou? Okay, if we have to believe that you're he, who's he? Now, look at Jesus' answer. Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I don't know how anyone reads the Bible and says Jesus never claimed to be the very God of the Bible. I don't know how anybody gets that. He is telling these Pharisees, I have claimed right from the beginning who I am. You've already made your choice. It's, we're going to have to move a little quickly here, but we get down to verse 44. He's going to tell them very plainly, Ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of the father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Now where did that come from? It came back from during the feast. He said, why do you seek to kill me? He was trying to rattle these guys to understand that their plotting of his murder was sin. And they couldn't get it. Because they were too busy trying to protect their traditions. Uh, I wish we had time to dwell in all of this, but let's go uh, to verse 52. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast the devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man may keep my sayings, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me. Now look at verse 54. Of whom ye say that he is your God. I mean, that's one of the most powerful verses in all of the New Testament. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I and said, before Abraham was, I already am. Present tense. Jesus presented himself 
as the source of the water of life, the forgiver of sins, the light of the world, the eternal God. Chapter 9. We, we've just been through that a little while ago, so we're not going to take time to go through chapter 9 again. The blind man was sitting there in Jerusalem. The, this is after these things happen. And Jesus says in verse 3, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. These same people that just tried to stone Jesus for claiming to be God the next day or even the same day are now going to be faced with this blind man who now sees. And we get down to the end of the chapter and they're going to say, are we blind also? Jesus, are you trying to say we can't see? And what was Jesus' answer? Let's just read it. Verse 39, And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and the day which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see. Therefore, your sin remaineth. You know what? When I go to the eye doctor, I want them to help me see. Amen? But if you choose not to listen to the doctor, you can get yourself in an awful lot of trouble now, can't you? You have to let Jesus define what sight is and what sight is not. These Pharisees, these religious leaders, thought they understood everything that was in the Bible. They were doing what they were doing out of a sincere motivation to keep their traditions. Because they could not tell the difference between their traditions and the Word of God. They had actually substituted their own words for the Word of God. I've often used this quote, if everything that everyone's, if everything was actually in the Bible that everyone said was in the Bible, there'd be no library in the world big enough to hold the book. The simple truth of the matter is, you better make sure it's not what somebody said was in the Bible, you better make sure it's written down, Amen. And then we come to John chapter 10. This is the last picture that Jesus is going to paint to use of himself. He is going to present himself as the good shepherd. The good shepherd that gives his life, that lays down his life, that kill the animal that would devour the sheep so that the sheep may live. That's exactly what Jesus did Look down with me in verse 16, and we'll be done tonight. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus is making a statement that no religion under any circumstances other than belief in the person of Jesus Christ has ever even dreamed about coming close to. Jesus says, I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to take it again. Buddha says, I'll lay down my life, but I'm going to live 10,000 more of them. Uh, that might take a while.
Other people have said, well, you do the best you can. But Jesus said, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to pick it back up. Mary Baker Eddy, founder of Scientology, was buried with a telephone in her coffin because she was going to call back from beyond the grave. I can't remember how many years, close to 30 years, they paid the telephone bill. And I was told that if you went out to the gravesite, they had actually run the wire across the cemetery and down into the ground where she was buried. Talk about faith. Well, they finally lost their faith and sent the telephone guy out there to cut the telephone line. Uh, I don't think they got back the telephone, though. But the simple truth of the matter is people will believe just about anything except the truth. But if you believe in Jesus, he is the good shepherd. Amen. He has laid down his life that the sheep may live. He is the light that we can see. He will define what vision is and what vision is not. He is the water of life and we must come unto him. All these events rolled into just a few days, less than 10 days. And Jesus presented himself as the Messiah. And what does it say? It says many believed on him. Amen. And we can live for him who died for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories that are here. Just telling us of the things that you have done. Lord, let us read them. And let us put our simple faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and let you do the work so that we may bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed for a moment.